0: It is so good to be with you this morning, and um, I have to tell you that uh, yesterday was a pretty cool day, and uh, if you were able to, to join us yesterday afternoon for Miss Wendy's um, celebration service, um, it was just a glorious, glorious time, and um, it's a delight to be back here this morning. One of the neat things about it, I got to tell you, was that there was not an empty seat in this room, not one. There was an empty seat there, and there was not an empty seat Behind me, that choir loft was packed, and it was wonderful, I mean, wonderful. And the songs in which they sang, the songs in which we sang. Pastor Jeff stood right here behind this pulpit. He was a foot taller than I am, and I'm still trying to figure out where he got the box from just to stand up on, but um, he shared story after story after story of his dear wife. and I'm not going to lie. we cried together. We laughed together, we prayed together, we sang together. And it was a celebration. But I also know that our hearts are troubled this morning, aren't they? Our hearts are heavy. And um, some of us are still experiencing a broken heart. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. So if you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and fire it up, turn it on. And um, hit your little app, scroll over to Exodus. And um, if you've got your Bible with you, you can go ahead and open it up. And uh, go ahead and flip those pages. And find the book of Exodus. And I don't know the last time that you were in the book of Exodus. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in the book of Exodus, but uh, I told the staff this morning as we were praying back in the connect room that we were going to go through the entire book of Exodus, we were going to go through the entire book of Joshua, we were going to look at three different full Psalms, we're going to hit Romans, Galatians, and the book of Revelation in the next 40 minutes. Now you know why the first service was late, right? And I told them, like I'll tell you, I apologize for running over, but not really. Because i tell you what, we had a great time of worship this morning. And again, I just pray that this morning would be an encouragement to you. So before we open the scriptures and before we dive in, I want to go ahead and I just want to uh, pause. And um, I want to lift a voice of prayer for our pastor, for the entire Bedwell family. And um, if you would just join me in that opportunity, do me a favor. Go ahead and grab a hold of your heart. Grab it. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and Lord, we say thank you. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to just be still in your presence. Father, thank you that we know, that we know, that we know that you are almighty God. That you poured out your love on a cross that was meant to kill. But Father, that cross on Calvary is our victory. And today, Father, we know that our dear sister Wendy is singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Father, we can only imagine because we cannot fathom all that you have prepared for us. But Father, today she is in your presence. And so Father, we pray that now as we open your scriptures, that we too would sit in your presence. Father, we pray that your presence would atmosphere the home of Jeff and Wendy, and Father, that you would continue to wrap your arms around Brother Jeff. Father, that you would speak encouragement to him. Father, there are many questions that are left to be answered. And Father, I pray that as you speak to the family members, that Father, they would continue to bow a knee to you. And Father, they would seek to know you as their truth, as their source of life. Father, that you would heal the brokenhearted. And Father, that you would set the captives free. Father, smile upon our pastor and surround him with your amazing grace. And I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. So if you go to Exodus chapter 15, it's a phenomenal story. And if you haven't been there recently, I'm going to encourage you over the next couple of days to, to jump into Exodus. And many of you may know that it's the story of the nation of Israel, the people of God, the chosen people of God, who spent 400, 400 years in bondage, in slavery, in Egypt, under Pharaoh's rule. Remember that story? Remember Charleston Heston? Remember the voice? Look, my people. I wish I had that voice. Remember that moment whenever Moses stands before Pharaoh and says, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, no. And he goes back and let my people go after a plague, no. Let my people, this goes on over and over and over, plague after plague after plague. And the nation of Israel is gripped in slavery. They are gripped in bondage. I don't know about you, but for the last couple of weeks, it has been tough, hasn't it? I mean, I was reflecting over a couple of the conversations that, that I've had the last couple of days. Conversations of suicide. Conversations of divorce. Conversations of financial hardship. Pause the tape. Taxes are due tomorrow. Side note. Conversations of struggling relationships. Conversations of a strained or a prodigal son or daughter. Conversations of heart surgeries. Conversations of cancer. Sometimes, I gotta be honest with you, there's not a whole lot of good to turn to, is there? I mean, you flip on CNN or you you go to Fox News and and quite honestly, it feels like we are in bondage. It feels like we are slaves. It feels like all we get is bondage bad news after bad news after bad news and i don't know about you but i am tired of being discouraged and disappointed i am tired of feeling like i am defeated and i bet that the nation of israel in their captivity under pharaoh's rule in egypt had a simple question like many of us do is god really here Is he still with us? Has he forsaken me? Well, that's not a word we use in 2016, Doug. You're right, it's not. But it's still the question, isn't it? I mean, if you're really honest with yourself, how many of you have asked the question, does God still love me? Does God still care about me? Does God still know the condition that our family is in? Does God still aware of the circumstances? Does he understand what he's doing? Have you ever asked that question? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. And you don't have to tell me. Because he already knows the answer, doesn't he? He knows your every thought. He knows your heart. What is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning it's the first thing you think about maybe just maybe that thing has captured your heart what do you do whenever things don't go the way you think they're supposed to go What do you do whenever a year ago you get a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer and you walk and you journey with your bride for of 34 years? It was incredible to listen to those stories. It was incredible to to hear of the love that our pastor has for his bride and for his children. And I, like you, have been blessed by Jeff's answer. And I thought it was funny yesterday. He was talking about many people have asked, how am I doing? What's his answer? Better than I deserve. Every time you ask him the question, that's his answer. And that was before Dave Ramsey he shared with us today, yesterday. It was pretty cool. But guess what, church? We are better than we deserve. Amen? I don't know about you, but I have seen better days. Amen? I mean, we have seen better days, whether it's in Fort Mill or whether it's in Pittsburgh or whether it's in the Carolinas or, or even in this country. We have seen better days. But, church, understand something. We have not seen the best. Crickets. Really? My wife, whenever I woke up this morning, she looked at me and she said, Take it easy this morning. Because she was here two weeks ago for the 11 o'clock service and I ran out of gas. Church, I don't know if you heard me or not. Do you realize that we have seen better days, but we have not seen the best days? Give me an amen. Write it down. You know, we were playing baseball last weekend. And uh, one of the absolute joys in my life is, is having the opportunity to coach. And um, I love to coach. I don't know about you. I've coached several sports. and, And over the last seven or eight years, I've had the just absolute privilege of coaching my favorite sport, baseball. And last weekend, it was an incredible weekend. We've got a great group of 11 players, and, and we were out on the field, and, and we had a really good Saturday, and we got seeded number one in the, in the silver bracket on, on Sunday. And, and we were going into that first game, which was the playing game into the championship, and we had this amazing comeback win, and, and it was just absolutely incredible. And the second game that we lost in the championship, Coach Jeremy and I saw some body language that really discouraged us and if you've been a coach or a father or or you've had the opportunity to play on a team you know exactly what i'm talking about when things are going good there's a smile on your face and whenever things are not going quite your way you start kicking the dirt and you hang your chin and the, it, the tears start to swell up and you act like a bunch of 11 year old boys No, amen on that one either. But it's true, isn't it? You know, the amazing thing is that's not a new issue inside of the church. That's not a new issue for the people of God because if you go to Exodus chapter fifteen, check this out. It's absolutely incredible because after four hundred, I'm sorry, four hundred years—I almost said four hundred centuries—that would have been a little bit of an exaggeration. But four hundred years, four centuries of captivity under Pharaoh's rule. He finally goes after the plagues and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, you know what? I've had enough. Go. And that first Passover, remember the first Passover and the instructions in Exodus of the first Passover of finding the spotless, perfect young lamb. That you then had to care for for four days. By the way, it's in here. I'm not making this thing up. It's absolutely amazing to read. And after the instructions of the Passover and after the going out and the exodus out of Egypt, the Egyptians are walking across and they come to the Red Sea. And and you can see it right now on, you know, the public broadcasting station where Moses puts his staff down and, and the sea walls just heel back and the entire nation goes across. And and because God hardened the Egyptians' heart and Pharaoh's heart, he sent the Egyptian army after the Israelites, after they had left, and they crossed over the Red Sea, right? Remember this? And what happens whenever the Egyptian army gets into the Red Sea? Boom! You're right. And they are dead instantly. I mean, could you imagine the smile? Could you imagine the comeback win that they just experienced? How amazing would that be for the people of God to be standing on the other side of the Red Sea, looking back, and there's the Egyptian army dead? Chariots, wheels, floating to the top. How amazing would that have been? Could you imagine them skipping their step, coming off the field and saying, I got this, fool. I can't look and see if the player's in the room, but if he's in the room, he knows exactly what I'm talking about. When he struck out that kid, after we were down by six runs, he comes off the field and he looks at me and says, Coach, I got this, fool. Who are you calling fool, boy? (laughs) Next time he comes out after striking out that kid, sit down, son. Kid was walking with a little bit of swagger. The next game... That same kid was kicking the dirt. Check it out. Exodus chapter 15. This beautiful, beautiful song of deliverance that starts the chapter. I will sing to the Lord. Why in the world would the people of God be singing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously? Well, check out just a few scriptures ahead, behind In Exodus 14, verse 29, it said the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And as the water stood up like a wall on both sides, that is how the Lord rescued, circle that word, rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the shore. And when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe, a.k.a. swag, Do you see that? They were filled with awe. And they put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And then they go through this beautiful song of deliverance. Gorgeous song of deliverance. And if you have the time this week, I plead with you to read the first 18 verses of Exodus chapter 15. It does not sound like the worship songs of this day, but it is a song of worship. And check it out. After the first 18 verses of song and recounting the, the history of that they had walked through, in verse 22 it says this, Then Moses, after they were done singing and hanging out and worshiping, Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea and they moved out into the desert. Pause. Whenever the Lord went to Moses and said you were going to go back to Pharaoh and you were going to set my people free. Where was he going to take his people? To the what? Come on, church. The promised land, right? See, the promise was that you were coming out of bondage in Egypt to the promised land, right? Right? The, the promise was not you're coming out of bondage of Egypt to hang out in the desert for 40 years. The Lord said, you're going from Egypt to the promised land, Egypt to Canaan, slavery to freedom. But by the way, we're going to go a little bit different way than what you think we're going to go. And we're going to go into the desert. So they traveled in this desert for three days. How many days? How many days? Three. And when they came to the oasis of Moriah, the water was too bitter to drink. They hadn't had any water for three days. Verse 24: Then the people complained and turned against Moses. Are you kidding me? You just had this comeback win, and literally an hour later, you were kicking the dirt, hanging your heads, and crying. Oh, by the way, that's not our 11U tournament team. That's the nation of Israel. That is God's people who just witnessed a miracle of the Red Sea splitting and walking through on dry ground and the Egyptian army being flooded and killed. And three days later, because they got thirsty, are you kidding me? They turned their backs and they started to whine and complain. Anybody else a part of that nation? Or am I the only one that's going to raise my hand? Church, how many times do we do this? How many times do we see God do something absolutely miraculous? And in the next minute, we are the first to complain. Because we feel that we deserve something. Isn't it amazing that the faster our world moves, four kids, a wife, a job, travel, friendships, hardships, it just keeps going faster and faster and faster, doesn't it? Don't you feel overwhelmed sometimes? It's interesting, I read a statistic in preparation for this morning that completely blew me away. If you have not read Max Lucato's newest book called Glory Days, I am begging you to go to Lifeway, they're not open today, but go to Lifeway and sell the place out. It is absolutely incredible. And in this book, Glory Days, there's a research study that Max references. Many of you may have heard of it. It's been taking place over the last 10 years called the Reveal Study. And in the Reveal Study, they went to thousands of churches and they interviewed the members. And they asked one question. How many of you would say that you are living a life that is wholly committed unto the Lord, loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and loving others as yourself? simple question right and when nobody was watching and when nobody had your name nine out of eleven people said they weren't nine out of eleven let me say it the other way only one out of eleven people or two out of eleven people are living a victorious life The rest of us are living a defeated Christian life. See, that's the interesting part. They would say that they love God and that they believe in God and they've given their life to Jesus and he's their personal savior and and Lord. and, and, And at the same time, you're living disappointment and you're living discouragement and you're living defeated. Here's the deal, church. When your expectations are here and your reality is here, do you know what fills the gap? Frustration. Disappointment. Discouragement. You didn't get to see it, but in the first service this morning, there was a young lady from Fort Mill High School who had given her life to Christ, and she gave testimony in a video. And, and after the baptism, one of the things I shared was that in the video she said that she wanted to be baptized and that she's changed her life because she didn't want to hurt God's heart anymore. Did you hear that? She didn't want to hurt God's heart anymore. Do you realize, church, that whenever you're not living a victorious life, you are hurting our Father's heart. I am hurting our Father's heart. Because he has never failed to fulfill his promises. Amen? Well, hang on a second, Doug. Where in the world are you getting that from? We'll flip over to Romans chapter 9. It's pretty cool how we can go from Exodus to Romans, isn't it? So go to Romans real quick. Flip over. If you're on your iPhone, you've already beat us there. But we're in Romans chapter 9. And I'm really going to mess you up because I'm going to start reading in Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 35, it says this. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Same question. God, have you forgotten me? God, are you still with me? God, are you for me? God, do you really love me? Can anything ever separate God for us from God's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or we are persecuted, or we are hungry, thirsty, or we are destitute or in danger, or we are threatened with death. Are any of you facing that this morning? Are any of you facing a little bit of hardship, a little bit of trouble, a little bit of struggle in your life? If there's a little friction or tension maybe in your home, maybe the temperature turned up on the thermostat and you didn't even realize it whenever you came home. Maybe some of you are in danger. Maybe some of you are hurt, hurting or hungry. Maybe you're thirsty. Maybe, just maybe, you too have received a diagnosis that threatens you with death. Can anything ever separate us from the love of God? Church, the answer is? Church, the answer is? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. If you've got your Bible open and you've got a pen in your hand, will you please circle overwhelming victory? Because they came out of Egypt, they headed into the desert, and they continued to whine and worship other gods. They continued to have expectations that were beyond God's reality for their journey. I want to write that one down too. That was good. Seriously, how many of us have expectations of our life that are beyond God's reality for our journey? And so they wander in the wilderness for four decades. So they go from four centuries of bondage to four decades in the wilderness. And then what happens? Moses dies. The entire generation dies. And who, do they, who does God see and anoint as the next leader? Some of you have read it. Joshua, right? And it's incredible because if you go to Joshua chapter 1. Oh, look at this. We're flipping back to the Old Testament. Doug, you can't do this. I don't have my little tabs marked like you do. Joshua chapter 1. It says that after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. And this is what he said. Moses is dead, dude. Do you think that would have gotten Joshua's attention? Church, do you think that God's trying to get your attention? Is death a reality for every single one of us in this room? No. No. Doug, hang on a second. What are you saying? See, that's why we live defeated. Right, Shannon? Because we don't have our eyes fixed on the eternal perspective. Jesus is alive, isn't he? And guess what? Wendy is too. She has a brand new body with no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, And she is saying to us, guys, wait until you see the way that he decorated the interior of my mansion. (laughs) Wait until you see this. It's amazing up here. I can't wait for you to get here. We will see each other again. Why? Because if you're going to be in the presence of Jesus and I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus, then we're going to both be in the presence of Jesus. And we are going to be singing just like they are now. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and forever will be totally victorious. Amen? Amen. Come on. But he got his attention. And then he says this, verse 3, I promise you what I promised Moses, that wherever you set foot, you will be on land that I have given you. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you, and I will not abandon you. Hold, flip back to Romans chapter 9. Well, Doug, I would have put my finger there if you would have told me that we were going back. It's right after Acts. And in Romans chapter 9, verse 6, It says, well, then, question, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? How cool is it that in Romans, Paul references Exodus? No, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. And I will tell you what, that is hurts God's heart he loved the world the whole world and every created being that he made in it and it hurts it hurts his heart that not every created being that he has made will be in his presence for eternity could you imagine the pain of our father's heart I don't know about you but being a daddy of four kiddos I love to be in the presence of my kids. I really do. Some of you have had the great joy, I use that word, of sending your first or your second or your third or your fourth or your sixth or your tenth off to college. And you have the checks and the debt to show it. And it pains you when they're not in your presence, doesn't it? And you worry when they're not in your presence. And you pray like you've never prayed before. What decisions are they making? What are they doing today? What did they do last night? Church, there's some of you in this room that are not in the presence of our Father Eternal Eternity. There are. There are some of you who have not given your life to Christ. And today may be a day for you to cross over the Jordan River. See, I don't know about you, but if Beth Moore came to Fort Mill, I would be the first one in line. And I'm not going to wear pink. But Beth Moore said it best. There's a difference between believing in God and believing God. See, Abraham was counted as righteous because he believed God. Some of us are just believing in God. And we're going along with emotions because our wife or our husband want us to, or because we think that it's what's best for our kids. Or we think that mom and dad are just dragging us to this church, and the dude is wearing jeans and a sport coat, and he is talking Exodus and Romans, and I don't have a dang clue what he's talking about, but there's something about him that is a little bit different. So let me share a story with you. What do you do when things don't go the way you want them to? What do you do when all of a sudden you're in a journey that you didn't see coming? Well, about seven years ago, Kelly and I will never forget the day that we walked into the McGee Women's Hospital in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We had two beautiful children. We had lost a pregnancy between the first and the second. And she was pregnant with a third, 19 weeks. And we were sitting there, and we were doing the ultrasound, and out we found out he was a little boy, and we immediately gave him the name Jackson. Now, many of you know Jack. Many of you saw him yesterday on the victory sports field, hit his first two home runs, the first of which was a grand slam. That little six-year-old that's a half a foot taller, I'm sorry, a half a foot shorter, just like his daddy, than anybody else, because he's playing on a seven- and eight-year-old team whenever the doctors told him that he would never be able to play sports. Because on that day in the ultrasound room, they found out that Jackson only has half a heart. The left side of his heart never formed. And we were faced with four decisions. One, you can abort the pregnancy immediately. Two, you can carry full term. Kelly will give birth and he will die somewhere in the first couple of minutes. Three, You can go through a series of open-heart surgeries, three of them. The first at eight days, the second at three months, and the third at three years. Or four, you can try something that has never been successful before. It's called a fetal experimental aortic balloon. If any of you know what that is, talk to me afterwards. Because I didn't have a clue whenever they started speaking in tongues. (laughs) They had tried the surgery once before. And the baby was lost and the mother was never able to have children again. So we knew the risk. But tell me, church, which one of those four decisions is best? Which one of those four decisions is good? What do you do whenever you're walking along life and things are good and you work for Billy Graham and you've got two beautiful children, Carter and Jordan and Kendall isn't it good to know they pay attention? <laughs> and thank goodness for Hebrews chapter 12 that says, therefore, in verse 1, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses of the life of faith, if you were here yesterday, you would have seen the crowd of witnesses to Wendy's life of faith. And grace and love. And so church, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Do you realize, church, that sin will keep you from this book? And this book will keep you from sin. And there is sin that is tripping us up and slowing us down. And let us run the race with endurance that God has set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So I'm sitting there with my beautiful wife and we are praying over what decision do we make? And I text my wise counsel, Bruce, and and I say, Bruce, what do we do? And he says, Doug, when you're walking on water, it's all eyes on Jesus because you are going to where no man has ever gone before. Church, that happens to you every single day. I pray that you never have to be impacted or influenced by the diagnosis of hypoplastic left heart syndrome. I pray that you never get a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. I pray that you never have the sickness. I pray that you never have the trouble. But Jesus told us that in this world, we will have trouble. So take heart because I have overcome this world. And I will give you overwhelming victory because that cross was meant to kill you and to kill me, but instead it set you free. And so we prayed and we ultimately chose to do the fetal aortic balloon and it was the first successful surgery of its kind. But here's the catch. His heart was already too far gone and we had to go through three open heart surgeries anyways. And on the second open heart surgery morning, I'll never forget it. Kelly and I were in there early. We had Jackson. He was three months old. I've never shared this story in front of him. This is tough. And I rocked him the night before. He couldn't cry. And so I went into his nursery and I just rocked him. Because if he would cry, he was on that point where he would go into cardiac arrest. And so for three months we threw out Baby Wise. <laughs> we threw out the let it cry, let him cry it out model. And I rocked him in his room, and the next morning we got up early and, and we took him in and I handed him over to the anesthesiologist for that second open heart surgery, and he had already miraculously come through one and he was three months old at the time. And Kelly and I were in the ICU room and all of a sudden there was a knock on the glass door. And the gentleman's name was Bill. And I will never forget Bill. Because Bill looked at me and said, Mr. and Mrs. Barrett, I'm Bill. I'm your respiratory therapist. And he said, when I saw Jackson's name on the board this morning, I chose you. Did you guys hear those words? Well, if you have been chosen by God, you understand that those words are very, 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 very special. I said, Bill, what do you mean you chose me? He said, well, Mr. Barrett, for the last three months, I have watched you and your wife and your family come in here, and I've seen your tears, and I've heard your prayers, and I've listened to your worship music, and I've seen you read the Bible, and I've heard you share the love of God with people. How in the world can you believe that there is a God who loves you when your son is in this condition? Every day, Mr. Barrett, I see babies just like your son. How can there be a perfect, loving God? And I looked at him and I said, you know what, Bill? What we see as imperfect and what we see is not our plan is perfect in God's purpose. For if Jackson were not in the OR this morning, you and I would not be able to talk right now. And for the next 10 minutes, I shared scripture with him. And I prayed with him. And when I was done praying, unprompted, he prayed to receive the Lord Jesus. While my son, at three months old, was in the OR. Church, I don't know what you're struggling with, but I'm going to tell you this right now. You may have seen better days, but you have not seen the best. Because Revelation 21 tells us that there is coming a day when there is a new heaven and a new earth and every one of us will have a spiritual body where there will be no more tears and there will be no more sorrow and there will be no more suffering. And that day is not today because the promise made to Moses from the Lord was not to come out of a bondage to slavery and into the wilderness where you're now in bondage to fear and doubt and depression. But the promise was to come up out of slavery to the promised land, to your glory days, to a land of Canaan. And church, I want you to know that today is the glory days. Canaan is not heaven. Please hear me, church. Heaven has no battles to be fought. Heaven has no enemies to be won over. Heaven has no kings. Heaven has no struggle and no hardship and no trouble. Heaven only has worship. So if you want to experience heaven today, then my prayer for you is that you would bow your knee and that you would begin to pray and that you would begin to wait upon the father and that his spirit would fall upon you and that you would worship in a new way and that you would put a smile on your face because the smile of the father is upon you this morning. And I stood at first base yesterday and I took a picture of a kid who was never supposed to live, let alone ever to play sports. And I don't know how much time we have with them, but I will tell you this, our family will serve the Lord. Just as Joshua in his final words in Joshua 24, after conquering the promised land, after coming out of a life of slavery and after wandering through the wilderness and after conquering the 10,000 square miles of the promised land, by the way, that was not Fort Mill, South Carolina, Many Pennsylvanians, Ohioans, and New Yorkers, and New Jersey people, they think that this is the promised land. It's not. And if you are excited about being a native of the promised land, remember that the natives of the promised land were giants, kings, who hated God. So you don't want to be a native of the promised land. Amen? (laughs) Guys, this is not heaven. But these are our glory days. Because we know the promise of overwhelming victory. Amen? Final word. Flip with me real quick to Psalm 34 as we close. <laughs> Psalm 34. Do you guys hear the fluttering? Isn't it great to hear the fluttering of pages? Love it. Psalm 34. I want to leave you with this. The Lord is close, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous. Who is The bones of the righteous. Who hung on the cross without a bone broken? Do you remember Jesus of Nazareth? He alone, he alone was without sin, right? And sin in my life does not allow me to be righteous. But because Jesus is the Lord of my life and his blood covers me, God sees me in that shed blood covering, secure forever. So he is close, and the Lord will redeem those who serve him, and no one who takes refuge in him will ever be condemned. Church, there are some of you in this room that do not know the refuge or the closeness of God Almighty. Last Monday, a gentleman came through the Billy Graham Library with his service dog beside him. And I noticed the dog first because she was identical or he was identical to the dog that Kelly and I rescued six years ago when we lived in Fort Mill the first time. So I went up and I began to have a conversation with him and I learned of his time in Iraq and Afghanistan and, and after we talked for a little while and realized he was a wounded warrior and a veteran, I thanked him for his service and I looked at him and I said, Sir, how can I pray for you? And he said, Doug, would you please pray for my wife who's in recovery from breast cancer? And would you please pray for my PTSD disability? And I said, absolutely. And so I stopped for 15 seconds and I prayed over him in the middle of a tour. And then we went on and I gave a tour to two of the guests that I had with me. And we were out through the library for about an hour. And as we were going into the final theater, many of you have gone into where you hear Dr. Graham's message from 2005 in the gospel presentation where 26,000 people have given their life to Christ. As we're going in through those doors and those big doors open, all of a sudden I see this gentleman and his service dog on a beeline right to me. And he is crying and he is weeping, and he comes up to me and he says, Doug, can I change my prayer request? Now, I wanted to be a jerk and say, Nap, sorry, you only get one for the day. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, Steve, what is it? And he goes, Doug, would you pray that God would love me enough to forgive my sins? Doug, I didn't mean to kill them. Doug, I didn't mean to hurt them. Doug, I didn't mean to do what I did to those kids in Iraq. All I wanted to do was give them gifts, and the gifts that I gave them got the whole school killed. Doug, I did some things that I... And I mean, he went on and on and on. And I looked at my guests and I said, guys, you go into the final theater, I'll see you on the other side. And I stood there for 10 or 15 minutes, and I read scriptures to him, and I prayed with him, and and I said, Steve, I cannot pray the forgiveness of sins in your life. You have to do it. I said, Steve, do you want to do that today? And with all the strength he had, he said, yes. So I got his wife and we went to the prayer room And I prayed over him again, and I heard the sweetest prayer of a man for the first time who gave himself to Christ, asking for the forgiveness of his sins, for the things that his hands had done, for the killings that he had on his hands. And when he was done praying, I will never forget the moment. That service dog began to lick his hands profusely. And he looked at me and he said, Doug, why is he doing that? Why is he licking my hands? He never, guys, it was awkward. It was gross. I mean, the dog was just lick, 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 lick. And I looked at him and I said, Steve, for the first time, your hands are clean. That's the miracle of all miracles. Today may be your day. And it's time for your hands to come clean. In that connect room right back there, there are men and women who would love nothing more than to pray with you and over you and to hear you pray for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can walk with us into the victorious Christian life. Amen. Amen. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time. Father, thank you for these incredible families. Father, I would pray that you would pour out your anointing, your blessing, your protection. Father, when life goes the way that we don't see it should go, that, Father, that you would remind this firstborn son that it's not always about my expectations, that, Father, your reality in our journey has perfect purpose. Father, when we don't know why, and we can't understand why. And Father, we are asking the question, are you still here? Father, I pray that we would bow our knee minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, and that we would be overwhelmed with the victory of your son's cross. Because God, you loved us so much that you sent him to the cross while we were still yet sinners. And our hands were dirty. And our hearts were full and they were enslaved to the bondage of sin. But Father, you sent your son and they hung on that cross and he died on that cross. And that blood was shed so that I could receive victory, so that we could receive victory. Because God, we don't deserve it. But Father, you loved us and you gave it to us. And so, Father, now as we walk out of this place, Father, I pray that our hearts would be forever transformed. I pray that our steps would be forever transformed. And I pray that our eyes, when we're walking where no man has ever walked before, would be fixed upon your son, and that we would experience the victory in which you promised Moses. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your scriptures. And I pray, Father, that you would now bless us, protect us, guide us, leave us, And smile upon us in Jesus' name.